This is The Guardian. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Science Weekly is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash scienceweekly today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash scienceweekly. A new academic year is underway and across the country, 11-year-olds are starting secondary school and perhaps an even bigger milestone, getting their first phones. For parents, this means kids can keep in touch, socialise and stay safe. But phones and social media apps are also at the centre of worries about bullying, attention spans and plummeting teen mental health. U.S. teen girls are experiencing record levels of sadness and violence. There is not sufficient evidence for us to conclude that social media is, in fact, safe for our kids. We are seeing mental health concerns at a rate that is extreme and very concerning. So we can call it a crisis. But what do we really know about the impact of smartphones and social media on the mental health of young people? And what can we do as parents and as a society to give kids the best chance of thriving in a digital world? I'm The Guardian Science Editor, Ian Sample, and this is Science Weekly. Dr. Amy Auburn, you're a research fellow at the University of Cambridge and you lead the Digital Mental Health Programme at the Medical Research Council's Cognition and Brain Sciences Unit. 
I'd like to start by defining our terms for the conversation because we used to talk a lot about screen time. That was the thing we were worried about traditionally. But have things moved on from there? Yes, I think screen time is a really unhelpful concept because while screen time might be useful to think about time maybe not spent exercising or climbing trees or playing the piano, actually a lot of the impacts of technology that we care about aren't really dependent on the amount of time we spend on a screen. It's what we do with them that really matters. And so that's why there's been a lot of mixed evidence in this space trying to relate screen time to, for example, mental health outcomes in young people. And that's because screen time is a really crap measure. Um, I can use my phone for 20 minutes and use it to Skype my grandma or to do some yoga or to look up the weather. But I could also be looking at self-harm content on Instagram or getting bullied by my friends. And so it's very important for us to move beyond screen time to think about what screens are used for and why they're being used. That will, again, then allow us to hone in on the things that screens do that really help us and those that we might want to avoid or we might want to talk about more and have a more active parenting approach with. It's a big push from kind of the scientific community that we need to move away from the, the screen time concept to, to make progress in this space. So given the need to make progress, what are some of the challenges scientists face when they're trying to understand whether time on social media or certain behaviours on social media are problematic? We see that science is struggling to keep up with technological change because we don't have the evidence yet to provide the hard and fast recommendations that parents and policymakers want from us. And one of the big problems in this area is that while our data is being collected at all times when we're using social media platforms and it's used for internal research to improve the product to improve profitability, it is not being shared by researchers outside of the company like myself who are employed to provide open research that then can be used for recommendations, both for policy and, and parents. Because we don't get the necessary data to do the sort of high quality research that people want us to do, we are left with doing things like asking about screen time, <laughs> asking self-report measures about what people are doing on social media, when if we had access to high quality data that is being collected anyways, we could, for example, be looking at specific behaviours or what sort of content young people are exposed to, or what sort of design changes might have changed how they interact with platforms. We do have large scale population studies, but then we also need qualitative studies, interviews with young people. And then we also need experiments and um, people trialling being on and off social media and people trialling different design types. So I think it just shows that there won't be the silver bullet of one research study to, to help us all and to show us the way, but there'll be loads of different ones that will all start honing in on what we're supposed to do. Amy, you look at these research papers and there are certainly enough of them coming out. What's the impression you get from the research at the moment on how the use of social media, often through phones, is affecting teenage mental health? The evidence is really varied, and that's because phones aren't like drugs that are molecules that you ingest or that come into your body and that have a very fixed impact on your physiology or on your brain. Phones are tools whose impact really depends on how they're used and what you do with them and also who you are. 
So that's why in the UK, we don't have smartphone use guidelines like we do for alcohol, because while alcohol, you have a dose response relationship between how much you're drinking and the impact of the body, that isn't the case with phones. Something that we do know is that when we look at correlations, so if we um, ask young people how much social media they use and also ask them how good or bad they feel, we do find a negative correlation between amount of social media use and well-being. So those who say they use more social media also say they are feeling worse. Whether that's a causal link and the direction is that social media is changing well-being is a more difficult question to answer because we also know that how we feel changes how we use technology. And research has shown that the impact goes both ways. What we do know is that these links are really heavily individualized. There's a lot of variability. So while on average, it might be a very small and negative link, there might well be children with that are experiencing very negative impacts or very positive impacts. And there's now an increasing push to research who are the children that benefit and who are the children who are most at risk. And for example, there's been a lot of work looking at minority young people, especially in rural areas, where maybe having access to people like them online as a form of social support is really important. While for others, for example, who are very vulnerable, for example, who might already be experiencing certain mental health conditions, social media might be that extra stressor that really impacts them. And so we can't yet predict who falls into what camp. And I think that's where research is at the moment is really trying to, to figure that out, because that would then allow us to create those personalized recommendations that would be really the most helpful. Tell me about your own research in this area. What sorts of things are you finding? So, for example, we're doing a lot of work trying to understand how does social media use impact children with different mental health conditions. So we're trying to use NHS data to um, differentiate does the way that social media use impacts a young person with depression differ to a young person with an eating disorder or with ADHD so that we can become a lot better in the clinic and in the NHS in targeting that. And then... I guess the most recent big published piece of work, what we are interested in is adolescence is really a huge time of huge development and young people go through a lot of major changes during that time. And however, most research have kind of lumped adolescence together. So treated a 10-year-old as a 15-year-old as if it were a 19-year-old. But what we found is that the impact of social media use on well-being does change across age, especially in the adolescent age range which I think is really interesting because it, it is this time where major changes are taking place and that might help us hone in on these important processes that could be the target for recommendations, but also for regulation and, and for holding platforms to account. That research found that girls who increased their time on social media between the ages of 11 and 13 were less satisfied with their lives one year on with the same trend playing out later in boys at 14 to 15. It found no link between social media and well-being at other ages, except at 19 years old, when high usage was again followed by a drop in life satisfaction for both sexes. Despite the nuance in what you're saying about the evidence, every month a new study seems to appear that suggests there's a negative impact on mental health from smartphone and social media use. For example, a McKinsey Health Institute study from April this year or a Sapien Lab study from May. So what should parents make of those when they read about them in newspaper reports, online and so on? 
There's also been a lot of studies that have come out in the last few months that have shown these mixed effects or have done cross-country comparisons of when Facebook was released into countries and whether there was a decrease in mental health in young people and haven't really shown anything there. So I do think that because there's so much concern in this area, um, we do have a sort of um, filter that go through and kind of which studies get media coverage. What I would go back to is the sort of guidelines that the government and the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health have put in place. There was a big investigation into this in 2019. There were two reports released, and both of them said that the impact of screens on young people and social media on young people are so highly individualized that it is really down to the parents to work with the child and understanding how technologies impact them. The pediatrician's report also highlighted that It is important to think about screens, especially around activities that really matter for young people like sleep, making sure they're not impacting on eating behaviors and making sure that they're not becoming the central force in what a family does, but they're used to augment activities in the home. And while those aren't the recommendations that are really easy to follow or really pinpointing things that parents could do, those are the ones that have really been put together by experts and a lot of thought were put into those. Amy, here in the UK, the online safety bill is still being finalised. What kinds of things are needing to be considered when it comes to young people and mental health as part of that bill? The online safety bill is such a great effort from government in trying to make us a sort of world leader in online safety. But there are a lot of questions still around it. So how do you define an online harm? Things can be harmful, but do they need to be harmful for one person or multiple people or which proportion of the population to be labeled as such and to be actioned against? And I think we'll only start seeing that once the bill is through and and then maybe it will go into kind of a litigation space where, where companies are starting to be held to account. So I think I'm still in the dark about how we will define what an online harm is and also how we will create the sort of understanding of how we want to regulate companies in future, what sort of designs of technologies do we think are not okay. And so there, there's been a lot of work, for example, through the London School of Economics and the Five Rights Foundation to look into bringing together design codes that are putting child safety and child development in the center of technological design. And I'm really excited by that because I think we need to also not just do the sort of stick um, of holding companies to account often years after certain technologies have been put out there. But we need to bake it into the design of the product that they need to be promoting certain attributes and they need to be helping children to develop. And so I think we need to also pivot to, to thinking about the design as well. And do you see obvious ways that social media apps can be redesigned to try and make them less harmful potentially to teenagers and young people? Yeah, well, I think a really great example of that is is like counts. So Meta for a while was talking about removing like counts from Instagram so that you wouldn't see how many people have liked a post. And they were trialing that in different countries. And I'm sure that there must have been a huge amount of research behind that showing you know, why that design choice might be really beneficial. Naturally, none of that research has been published. But for example, that's something I would really like to know more and hoping that there could be more transparency from companies, because if they knew something about like counts, 
that might be worthwhile and, and, you know, they might be impacting how young people feel or how we all feel, then if it were transparent research, it could be applied to different companies as well. And we could create design codes saying that actually quantifying feedback in maybe in specific age ranges isn't great because that's a time when they're really, really sensitive about what other people think about them. So I think that's a great example where, you know, things have been happening behind the scenes in companies, but we don't really understand what do they know? Why have the decisions been made? And so we can't both understand it in that platform, but also apply it to other platforms and new technologies in the future. Just finally, Amy, there's this whole wave of kids who'll be getting their first phones as they go off to secondary school. What's your advice to the parents as children fire up those phones or to the children themselves? I think phones are a really scary thing to parent because they're often seen as so all or nothing. But I think the key thing is to have open communication about what goes on on phones and in the online world. Things will go wrong because things go wrong in our lives all the time. And so they will be going wrong online as they do in the offline space. And we need to create a situation where the young person isn't scared of telling their parent about what has gone wrong. They're often especially concerned that if they tell someone, their phone would get taken away and they wouldn't be allowed to interact with their friends anymore. And so the way I talk to parents normally is, is to really have an interest in what goes on on the phone. If they're reading a book, we would often have conversations about the characters and what's going on. I think that's the same thing needs to be happening on phones. So what sort of people are you watching on TikTok? Why do you find the videos interesting. My team now goes out into schools a lot and actually talks to young people about how they see their parents parenting kind of digital technology use. And we often get told that they think it's kind of very good for them to say they should get off their phone when their parents are on their phone all the time as well. So I think it does show that we need to also consider our own mobile phone use and what sort of example we're setting, because I think we need to allow young people to develop into these healthy technological habits. And often we struggle with those as well. And in your mind, where are we as a society with this? Because I do think parents find it overwhelming. Are we getting it right? A really great metaphor that is being used more and more in my area is that giving children phones, it's very similar to having a child around the ocean so an ocean is a really dangerous place especially for somebody who's young who hasn't been taught how to swim and so these dangers exist in society but we still somehow manage to deal with kids going to the ocean but that's because we have a lot of different activities and helps in place we have swimming lessons in community centers and in schools and then when young people first come to the ocean they're really quite intensely supervised by families and also by lifeguards and by people around them and so that over time we allow there to be the scaffolding that allows a child to start being safe around the ocean and then you know once they they grow up to being allowed to be in the ocean independently without as much risk (laughs) there's still risk naturally in place I think it's really the same for phones but there's a lot of these societal helps aren't in place yet and I think that's why parents really struggle we don't have lifeguards we don't have paddling pools for phones there's still very little going on in schools and I think as a society we can think about how we can provide that sort of scaffolding in future because we do know how to handle these sort of risky situations but in the technological world, we're, we're still doing that relatively unaided. Amy, thanks very much for coming on. No worries. Thank you for having me. 
Thanks again to Dr. Amy Auburn. Before you go, we're doing a survey of Guardian podcast listeners at the moment, and it would be great if you, our wonderful science weekly audience, could do it too. When you listen on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to Science Weekly, those podcast platforms don't share much about you with us. So the only way to find out more about you is to ask. So that's what we're doing. It should take you about five to 10 minutes. Please go to theguardian.com forward slash podcast survey. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Josh and Chana. The sound design was by Joel Cox executive producer is Ellie Bury. We'll be back on Thursday. See you then. Hello guys, this is Shante, the host of the Guardian's Pop Culture Podcast. We're back for more. And listen, when it comes to pop culture, if you're talking about it, we've got it covered. As an extra treat for you, I'm going to be at the London Podcast Show in King's Place on Sunday the 17th of September with the expert matchmaker Paul C. Brunson. You know, our fave Married at First Sight expert. Do you want to find your perfect partner in life? Then you have to come and see us. Paul has all the tips and tricks. Get your tickets in person or go to kingsplace.co.uk forward slash popculture. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.